truly believe that no experience is wasted, right? And so I had to begin to say, I'm not the only one that experiences loss. I'm not the only one that uses self-soothing saboteurs. I'm not the only one who thought all I had to do was have tenacity and perseverance. And, you know, and that really made, uh, helped me make that shift. So we're continuing our conversation with Michelle and We've been doing the deep dive uh, into suicide loss and even cancer. And we've been talking about some of the things that we need to pay attention to, you know, pay attention to those who are struggling and suffering, pay attention to those who, you know, have their identity totally wrapped up in something and yet not aware of it. Pay attention to all the ways in which we attempt time and time again to resolve an issue, whether that is through some perceived positive measure or some perceived negative measure, like an attempted suicide. Pay attention because as we keep attempting, then we'll eventually be successful. And it's time for us to intervene in ways that are meaningful for that individual, but also meaningful for us. And so as we continue our conversation, we're going to talk about self-soothing saboteurs. Sometimes we find ourselves entertaining deceptive habits that may seem comforting at first glance, but non-knowingly hinder our growth and our resilience. And in this segment, we'll be talking about self-soothing saboteurs. I, I love that phrasing of it, Michelle. So what is a self-soothing saboteur? It is essentially anything that we're doing repeatedly to avoid problem solving or addressing our internal emotional discomfort. Mm. And for some people, it's become gaming. Mm. It might be shopping. Mm -hmm. It could be gambling. It could be pills. In my case, it was alcohol. Mm. I used to be a moderate to heavy drinker. You know, I traveled a lot for work and, you know, drinking was part of it. Um, But I know precisely when my drinking turned to a self-soothing saboteur, when it turned into a solution. Hmm. And it was really... Describe that moment. Yeah, it was during my husband's decline because Uh. he had not, you know... This was about maybe six months before he died. Yeah. I never hung out like in a bar. It wasn't my thing. Like we would go to a bar together or we'd have a bottle of wine and do these things together. But I reached a point where I couldn't tell my friends or my family about what was going on with him because they knew him too. And I felt like it wasn't my story to tell, but yet it's impacting me. Of course. It's impacting me. So who am I talking to? And at that point, I had not involved uh, a therapist. Yeah. And I remember like, well, you know, you go to the local, the local watering hole, people know you. You can even, or or you get to know people in a very shallow way, right? Yeah. Um, Sometimes in meaningful ways, because I did develop uh, long-term friendships that I have um, as a result of some of those visits. 
but it became a place where I could either avoid, like not have to think about it, or it was a place where I could talk about it because they didn't know him. Him. Mm. And it became a go-to. And it becomes a go-to, not just when, oh, well, I'm drinking because I'm sad. Well, if you drink because you're sad, you drink because you're happy, you drink because you're angry, you're just drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anything becomes an excuse. To drink. To drink and to soothe. Mm. And what I recall for me, and, and I'm so grateful that I had had a full life beforehand and that I knew this doesn't feel right. Mm. You know, this doesn't feel good. Like it was numbing me even more. It made it worse. My life used to be big and it mm. got so small. Wow. Getting smaller, smaller and smaller. Yeah. And the discomfort with that. Right. Um, and the thing too was that during COVID. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Just like before COVID. December of December of 2019. Yes. Started chemo January of 2020. And by March, COVID. Even after we have full-blown COVID. Yeah. So I'm immunocompromised. I can't, I can only have limited people in the home if I got was scared about getting COVID. And so my world just got even smaller as a result. Uh Um, And so it was just not, it wasn't healthy. And I knew like, what's different? Yes, I lost my husband. Yes, I had uh, diagnosed with the breast cancer. But also what was different was that I was drinking much, much more than I had ever drank Mm. ever before. Mm. Mm. And so I had to start looking at those things and wondering like, okay, What if removing this, how would I feel? And I needed help. I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't do it by myself. There were times when, like I had fasted before for like three months, not drinking. You know, I had done things like that, you know, dry January. My husband and I, we had done things like that. Yeah. But this was different. Mm. I I would say, I'm not going to drink today. Wake up, not going to drink today. And suddenly, I don't know, like I'm somewhere drinking. Right. You know? And that made me realize that this was this was different and I needed help. And so I sought help through a 12-step program um, and also working that program helped me realize not only was I powerless over alcohol, I was powerless over all these other things too. Um, and so like all of that kind of blossomed all at once. The, the psychologist, the medication, the removal of the substance, uh, and the realization mm. about being vulnerable and acceptance and powerlessness and surrender. Yes. Yeah. Like a perfect like mix. Yes. And how did it move forward? How did it then bring you to this really inspiring place where you are now, where you're wanting to impact other people's lives in these really profound ways and using your story to do that. How do you go from, okay, I need the psychologist. I need a 12 step group. I need, 
you know, to basically stop drinking. I need, you know, the support. I also need to recognize, you know, how powerless I am and how vulnerable I am and be vulnerable and be accepting in this place of powerlessness. How do you go from there? I think it's just an awareness, like a self-awareness. And then saying to myself, I thought, well, God is like, this has happened, right? God gave it to me, made it happen. Who cares? The reality is, this is where I am. I am. So now what am I going to do with it? Mm. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to take, did this just happen to me for no reason at all? I truly believe that no experience is wasted, right? And so I had to begin to say, I'm not the only one that experiences loss. I'm not the only one that uses self-soothing saboteurs. I'm not the only one who thought all I had to do was have tenacity and perseverance. And, you know, and that really made, uh, helped me make that shift. Hmm. Also, while I talked about the, my husband's suicide and my mental health being part of the cancer equation, Mm -hmm. so is alcohol. Mm. So is obesity. Mm. So is the mental health, you know, so all of that plays a role. Those are modifiable risk factors. Yes. Alcohol, the uh, obesity. I was much heavier. Mm. And, you know, since my diagnosis, I began reading because again, I like information. Yes. Realize that um, if I am going to beat cancer for good yeah. to the extent yeah. that I can, yes, I have to lose weight. I have to be active. The alcohol definitely had to, go. to go. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so all those things helped inform me, you know, in terms of changing my life to what it is today. Do you ever reflect on it, you know? that both you and your husband had these very challenging circumstances and here cancer was knocking at your door. Mental illness is knocking at your door. You know, now alcoholism is knocking at your door. Like there's just so much at your door. Yes. And then you give up the tenacity and you give up the perseverance and you say, well, that hasn't worked for me and it can't work for me anymore. And then you push into this new place. Do you ever compare yourself to him? And wonder if he could have done it too. I do. As we've sat here today talking, I think about like how after I lost him, how I threw myself into work. Yeah. And threw myself into other things. And so I do reflect that it's a bit of a, it's in all of us at different levels and different, yeah, just at different levels. Yeah. And so, you know, it manifested in him in a much different way. Like for me, it was the cancer. For him, it was mental. That's right. That's right. You know. But it's still not being, you know, thinking we got it. Thinking that we've got, oh, I just need the next job or the next title or the next thing or that. Yeah. Because if if it doesn't come, it's yet another thing that's knocking at your door, right? You just said something that I think is really key for us to focus on. You know, um, back in 2016, my husband traveled to 
um, China. He was going to Singapore for a business meeting. He was supposed to be there for about a week and then was to come back. Um, and while he was on the plane, he had this massive stroke. Um, or actually they had landed. And when they landed, that's when the, the stroke actually began. And then by the time he entered into the airport, it was just full blown. And, and so I had to go to China for about 21 days to support him with talking again, walking again, just coming right back to life. Thank God for his long-term memory. That was not an issue, but his short-term memory, his ability to speak was the thing that was most compromised. And you know, working through that experience was, it was different because I would have expected it to have been traumatic, but I think that was the moment where God uh, chose to show me a whole bunch of things that he could do in a very short period of time. And so um, he went back to work uh, about three months later from this massive stroke. Um, eventually it would change uh, even the way that, you know, he did work. And so eventually he stepped out of his executive position and just kind of moved back into an engineering position. And then uh, just a couple of years ago, now here's the thing, everyone flocked to us. I mean, what I could say is that not a single ball dropped, like everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do. His workplace did what they were supposed to do. I did what I was like, it just couldn't have gone like any more perfect in an adversarial kind of moment, right? Two years ago, then my son begins uh, to display, you know, uh, mental health challenges. You know, um, he suffers with ADHD anyways, and they're prone to depression and anxiety, but he, it began to become more pronounced and that was challenging. And the thing was, everyone dropped the ball. Like no one could talk about it. No one could aid me and be supportive to me because of it. There was shame and all kinds of things that were attached to it. Well, you could, you should be able to help him. You're a therapist. You could do it better, you know, so you should do it better. It was most interesting to me that with a physical illness, everyone can rally. Mm -hmm. They can be a resource. They can be all of these wonderful things. But with a mental illness, we have this superiority and this complete disregard for what the body is doing and what the, you know, all the other things that are happening. We disrespect it. We diminish it. Dismiss we it. dismiss it. We make it something that we have power over. And my son had no more power over his experience than my husband did. That's like, right. Zero difference, zero difference. And sometimes it is the dropping of the ball that makes the experience even more challenging um, because you want people to come to your aid and to support you. And they don't, you know, because for whatever reason, they've made it up in their mind that this is something that's controllable. And so then they treat you as if somehow you should um, have that. I thought it was important for us to at least acknowledge that aspect of mental illness experience. Yes. And in a way, it makes perfect sense because if we are not in a position where we even want to seek out mental health professionals, right? If I'm, you know, if I'm thinking that, oh, well, only these people go or only these, this can't be happening to you. You know, it's almost as if we don't believe it's real. Yeah. 
And that is what allows us to dismiss it. And, and it's it's not even intentional. It's not an intentional. It's that we don't even have the ability to comprehend yeah. that it's that serious as a cancer, yes. as a stroke. Yeah. We totally think that we're in total, like, yeah. control. But yeah. that's, a lot of that, too, is because we also don't understand the complexities of the brain. And we're still figuring those things out, right? Yeah. Complex, the human brain is so complex. So complex. It's a powerful, beautiful thing, but it is complex. And one of the things I like to say, you know, is trauma is such a complex thing. It has so many layers to it. But I also say the treatment of trauma doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes it is an effective listening ear that makes all the difference to somebody uh, coming back and coming back really quickly. I also say that forgiveness is the healing balm for mm -hmm. those things that uh, most traumatize us. And most times it's forgiving ourselves. Absolutely. It's always forgiving ourselves. It's never about the other person. It's always about us. And, and once we can gain compassion for ourselves, yes. to forgive ourselves, we then have the compassion to forgive others. That's right. That's right. And it starts with us. Yes. We asked Michelle to tell us her why, and this is what she had to say. I love being of service to people. There are several opportunities presented to me each day to help others. My story is unique because most people don't experience one of these life-changing events, let alone two, in such a short period. My story around suicide loss is essential to our narrative as we don't often discuss the impact of mental illness on our community. The breast cancer mortality rate in African-American women is 40% higher than in white women. We must begin to address the issue regarding the contributing factors that we can control. So let me ask you this question, Michelle. What is it that you're trying to build right now? What's the legacy that you're wanting to leave behind? Yeah, I want to be a person that can create change. Mm. You know, whether it's change in thought, yeah. Change how we approach situations. And we can't change anything if we don't build awareness around it, right? So I start with speaking the truth. Yes. And the truth is African American women diagnosed with breast cancer have a 40% higher death rate. It's been like this for decades in the US. And I can't imagine that it's much different in other countries. Haven't delved too much into that. So yes, yes. Well, uh, keep my mouth shut there. But <laughs> in the US, 40% difference, two women, exact same disease. You same, know? different colors. Yes. And that's it. Racial, racial profile. Yep. And there are some uh, breast cancers that are you know, uh, more aggressive and found in women of sub-Saharan descent, yes. like negative breast cancer. Okay. So I'm not, uh, you know, you know, outside of that, right? But we present later. Mm. We don't uh, get screened. We don't avail ourselves of all the treatment options because we're going to let God take care of it. And, you know, all these types of myths and things and you know, the obesity. Mm -hmm. And it's 
it's like we just got to fess up to some truths, mm-hmm. you know. And once we acknowledge those truths, then we can begin to make the necessary changes. Um, and I, I just don't see how we can sit back and just be okay with a 40% higher mortality rate with a lower incidence rate. Wow. African American women have a lower incidence of breast cancer, but 40% higher mortality rate. That is absolutely it's mind-boggling. Mind-blowing. Um, so I think taking care of ourselves, understanding what those risk factors are, um, speaking truth to no one says we all gotta look alike. Yeah. No one says we gotta be skinny. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we're telling ourselves sometimes stories that aren't true, you know. We're big boned, we're this, we're that. And yes. yes, we have beautiful curves and they're luscious and they're awesome. But if your weight is preventing you from doing the things that you should be able to do, whether it's playing with your children, yeah, up and down stairs, then we got a problem. Yeah. You know, um, so what I really want to do is to be able to have these conversations, right? That's not to let clinicians and researchers off the hook either, right? Because there are lots of issues with health disparity. Yeah. As access. Yeah. Um, feels comfortable. There's this whole history around experimentation that prevents us from wanting to be part of uh, uh, clinical trials. But the reality is cancer is being treated at the molecular level today. Yes. And if we're not part of the trials, yeah, we don't dismiss the past, but we can't allow that to prevent us Mm. from seeking to be part of those those trials, Mm -hmm. knowing how certain drugs and certain treatments are going to impact us and our community. Just just like for years, for decades, health, uh, uh, heart disease was all the studies were around white men. Right. Yeah. Women weren't a part of them. Yeah. Right. And now, now women are a part of those studies. So it's the same thing has to happen that happened gender wise, has to happen through race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal is just get out there and tell the truth, have these conversations. Yes. And see what we can do collectively. I love it. I love it. So what's the one thing that you need in order to have the success in doing this? Oh, wow. Courage. Mm. Courage. Yes. Courage to keep moving forward because it is easy for me. And this is where my husband, sometimes I hear him in the background, you know, oh, we can't do that. You know, you're in your prime earning years and, you know, all this stuff that really isn't important. Yeah. But to say that I don't, you know, miss or 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 think, that, oh, can I leave corporate really? Should right. I leave corporate? Right. You know, the courage to stand in that truth and say there is nothing about corporate mm. that is more important than these legions of women who are dying unnecessarily you know, and that I will be okay. 
I will be okay. So having the courage to keep moving forward when corporate's knocking on your door and saying, hey, come work for us or come over here and do this. So having that courage to keep moving forward, because I do think there are enough people that are willing to listen. I don't think, I think we're at an interesting time right now. We are. We are. Shows like, you know, the podcast that you have, you know, we have so much more information available to us. People are listening, but having the courage to keep moving forward, I think for me is one of the the challenges. Fantastic. Can we pray together? Oh, I would love it. All right. I heard you with courage. Um, And so let's go before the Father. Father, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you that you are the wonderful and great creator of every being that is on this planet. And Father, I know we don't see the beginning and I know we don't see the end, but we see the present moment. And in this present moment, Michelle and I are clear that this is a pivotal moment in time for our people to move and to see different outcomes in their lives. And you see the courage that she has had in order to push into vulnerability, to push into acceptance, to push into that place where she can say, I am powerless and I need to rely completely on you. And so, Father, in all the ways that our pride can come and just assault us and move us away from that knowing, Father, we thank you that you forgive us for that pride. We thank you for all the ways in which you open our eyes so that we can begin to speak truth, as Michelle says, speak truth so that we can manage these moments. And so as she endeavors to now go out and speak to the multiple women who are the women who are suffering with breast cancer and other types of ailment. I thank you for the life experience that you have given her. I thank you for the courage that she has had. And now I pray, Father, that you will double and triple and sevenfold the gift of courage that you have already granted to her. Father, I pray that in this time of courage, she will rise up as a voice amongst us that calls for change, that calls for us to look at the generations that have gone before and to look at the present moment and the impacts of the past. And to then begin to look at our children's future and the generations that are to come as we put out a new vision, a new vision of strength, a new vision of courage, a new vision of vulnerability, a new vision of healing for every single one of us. So may you bless her. May you pour out your blessing uh, sevenfold in everything that has been taken from her father. May you also return it sevenfold. I pray these things knowing they are already so in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Dr. John. I didn't know, girl, you was a prayer warrior. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I love it. Yes, Thank yes. And that uh, thank is the you. prayer that I needed to hear today. Thank you so much. This conversation has been very healing. Very good. Very good. You have helped me to gain a deeper understanding um, of suicidal loss of resilience and how resilience plays into the past, the present and the future in all the ways that uh, you are hoping to be successful. I know it is already so. Thank you. Thank you. And I bless 
you. I ask for God's blessing over you and your program and your family because I feel it's just a warmth. It's just the warmth that I feel here in in your in your presence, and um, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. To those of you who have been listening, we hope this uh, show has been really a blessing. We could have gone in a totally different direction. And I think the spirit has led us into exactly the place where we need to go. So will you share this episode with someone that you love, someone that you believe um, it will truly benefit? Uh, Will you um, just go and give us a review on any of the social media platforms that you are listening to? Every review counts. uh, Every follow, every new subscription counts. Every share uh, counts. And so help us to build the audience so that we can bring this or usher in this movement for our people to heal. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Joan. Thank you.